Welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. We want to welcome you this week as we continue in the book of Acts with the Jesus Movement. Let's jump in and see what God's Word has for us from our lead pastor, Antoine Lasseter. We are diving into the book of Acts, and as I said a few weeks ago, and I will continue to say it, um, there's so much in every uh, letter of Scripture that there's, it's impossible uh, to cover everything. So sometimes if you see us move forward and then we take a step back, um, because what we're trying to demonstrate is the whole counsel of God, that these, these, these scriptures are not just separate things. They're actually scripture builds on scripture. And so we'll, we'll, sometimes we're going to go forward and then we'll make a reference to a couple things to give you the full depth and breadth of what God is saying. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 11 um, talks about uh, two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, uh, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into, um, uh, been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So I want you to get the picture. We're going to be parking towards the end of Acts chapter 4. In, in Acts chapter 5, beginning of Acts chapter 5, and the reason why I bring up Acts chapter 1, verse 11, is because when the disciples were looking up and seeing Jesus ascend, listen to the instructions that the, 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 the two men dressed in white said. Um, they said, uh, this same Jesus, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So that sets a tone that they believe that Jesus is about to come back at any second. So once you give that context, so they looking up, angel said, hey, the same way he came up, he coming back down. And so they now start this movement with the pretense that at any second, Jesus is about to come back. So how would you live your life if you thought that any second he will come back. Would you waste your time watching that thing that you know you shouldn't be watching? Would you be wasting your time um, arguing with people uh, that doesn't go unresolved? Would you treat your neighbor just a little better if at any second Jesus was going to come back? And so, because they remember John chapter 14 verse 3, And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So they like, hey, I don't want to miss that train. So they are walking um, with the expectation that this is how we should live, that at any second he coming back. And so they met every day. They leaned on and learned from each other every day. They believed that Jesus was coming back right now. And so um, this Jesus movement grew upon one of the principles that this idea that Jesus was coming back at any second. And so it got so bad as you read scripture that in 2 Thessalonians, some folks believe that and behave that Jesus was coming back to the point that they just stopped working. Why, get, why interview for a job if Jesus is coming back? 
So Paul was like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen, we done told you this before. Man don't work, he don't eat. Because it wasn't just living on the church. It was they had this expectation that, man, why work at Wendy's if Jesus is coming back? And so what they would do, and he had to bring it in balance. And so, yes, we must live in expectation that the king will return at any moment and with the anticipation of his immediate return. But that don't mean we don't do anything. And so if we live with eternity in that lens, we realize that the houses that we have and the cars that we drive and the renovations and all that stuff don't mean nothing. But the extreme is we don't have to do any of that because Jesus is coming back. So we got to live with, I'm going somewhere. So, so Paul even took it a step further for the Thessalonians. Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, he decided not to live off or ask them for offerings because he wanted to demonstrate to them that I still have to work to finish the work that Jesus started in me. So he literally, when it comes to the Thessalonians, he said, look, don't give me nothing because I got a model to you guys that we all have to carry our weight for the kingdom. Why are you saying this? Because it's our job, number one to look out for the left out. But the key to this is understanding the backdrop of it. And this is what's running in the background of this young Jesus movement. And so um, when we get to Acts chapter 2, when the people were converted, remember, it's the day of Pentecost, and people were flooding into Jerusalem from various places um, in the world. And so they were coming into Jerusalem. And here's what's so crazy about that. That when they got connected to Jesus, they didn't go back home. So what money they brought with them became exhausted. And they didn't have it. So now people hear the gospel, they respond. When they respond, the people who were in Jerusalem began to open their homes to take care of brothers and sisters of the faith. Hmm. Somebody's like, I don't know if I could do that. That's why you need a spirit. That's a lot to ask. So they begin to take care. So you see in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, um, and we talked about this, but Acts chapter 2, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders of signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all believers were together and held all things in common. This is the first time this is mentioned the word in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as as any had need. So they came to Jerusalem, they heard the gospel, they became converted, and it was like, wow, we want to follow this Jesus movement. What we got to do? Like, we can't go back home, man. Like, this is life for us. Um, Our homes were empty anyway, and for us, it's like, you just, we just experienced God, and we want to keep experiencing God. And so, who got extra room? Now, no, I'm not going to say that. Thank you, Holy Spirit. All right, so I want you to circle the words in your electronic Bible. See what I did there? Um, In common, because it is important. Um, That Greek word is koinonia. I heard it pronounced koinonia. Either way, it's uh, the Greek word for community. 
Um, community is a smash of two words, common unity. Community. Community is people with a common purpose, common values, and living in unity. Jesus brings them together. And, and man, something happens when unity is involved. Woof, child, it ain't nothing like a disunified, misunified, disunified home. We can get some things done when me and my wife are on the same page. But when we not, she ultimately wins, but <laughs> she's like, wait, what? Um, but there's some unique things that happen. And so many of these new converts visiting from other nations, and so at conversion, the folks who were there the, the, um, began to sell their possessions to help them out. And now Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. Stop right there. Whew. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. And, so now and is a conjunction that connects two thoughts. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. <laughs> Keep reading, Pastor. <laughs> and, but, now but is a conjunction that changes the tone of the previous thought. But instead, they held everything in common. There's that, those two little words again. In common. And with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or, sold, or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold the field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Hmm. It happens again. If you slide back up a verse, you will read how, um, how the Holy Spirit filled them. So we can't do anything if the Holy Spirit doesn't fill us. Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't fill us, when this person sacrifices and give, and this person has it, but they see this person give, and their heart is not to give towards it, what happens? So this is the backdrop. The Spirit must be in us, church. We, because what God is asking us to do, we cannot do it in our own strength. When they prayed, when you back up to 31, when they prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken. They prayed and got filled. Once they prayed and got filled, we go to verse number 32, now. Once they prayed and got filled by the Holy Spirit, now 
That's the atmosphere that they are creating through their submission to God. What's the difference? Um, The difference between the church and any other nonprofit is we can meet the needs. Both can. But one carries the spirit of God. So it's not just meeting tangible needs only. Now, the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. Once again, in common, koinonia, one heart and mind. And here's what leads to their generosity. Three things that leads them to their generosity. The spirit, the spirit working, unity, and hospitality. And here's the thing. Hospitality isn't just meals or eating. Hospitality, I believe this is biblical. Hospitality is rooted in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. Treat the foreigner as your native born. Love them as yourself. Why? Because you were foreigners in Egypt. And don't you realize how you were treated in Egypt? So why would you turn around and treat them like you were treated? Like you know what it is not to belong. You know where it is to to walk in a place and not know anyone. So why would you walk past people and not display the hospitality of the Spirit to make them feel welcomed? And here's a newsflash. He goes deeper, not just the people you don't know, the people you don't like. That's why Jesus wraps this thing up. Here's one for you. Love your neighbors. And then they try to be smart and cavalier. Well, who is my neighbor? No one has to explain who your enemies are. And Jesus says, love them. I got to give myself an amen because that was good, Holy Spirit. I appreciate that. For real. That ain't in my notes, but you good. I need a little bit more of you. Because you know how it feels not to belong. So make them feel like they do. There's no VIP seating. James deals with this, with this preferred seating. Because their cologne represents the tent they live in, you hold your nose against them. But the expensive cologne, you invite them closer. They got the gear, they got the swag, and they get the stage. And we prefer, we prefer competency over character. And wonder why people like, you know what? I don't want to deal with church folks. Because we're about to show you why people don't want to deal with church folks. Nothing is new under the sun. And Jesus, the the scriptures are written for them, but we get the benefit to see their lived experience. And this is generosity. First Peter chapter 4 verse 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I mean, they cover in every base. Oh, I got to greet people. Man, have you not known your own captivity in Egypt? You used to be an ex-something. And now all of a sudden we hold our nose up. No, you don't struggle with pornography now, but you used to. Why are you holding your nose against God's people? Because they're foreigners. So are you and I. We don't have this thing together, yet we act like we do. We're just empty cups. 
And I just feel this indignation the more I talk to people and how they hold on to stuff and you asking God, take it, take it, take it. The same fervency that you have for your deliverance. We want to see our children free. You mean you only praying for your children? Not your children's friends? As if we live in isolation and God is going to take us out. I wish it worked like that. The best days of our lives would have been like, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and we with him. No, we got to work this thing out. And the scripture says, with fear and trembling. That's why I don't understand. I believe I'm secured in his arm, I believe in his hands. I believe that salvation is given to me, and that no man can pluck me out. But the hovering of Matthew 7 reminds me to stay humble. Pastor, what does Matthew 7 say? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 7 says that in the last days, people are going to say, we did this in your name, and we did this in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Whoa, workers of iniquity. That means I specialize in sin. I mean, I have a PhD in sinning. And I did all this stuff, Dion, in his name. And he says, you never, I, who are you? Hold up. Let me, oh. Hey, Father, yeah. Do you know him? Me either. That's what I thought. Hold on one second. Holy Spirit, you know him? You either? Okay, yeah. Depart from me. And the beauty of the gospel is we have the benefit of their lived experiences as a cautionary tale for us. Man, listen, old folks used to scare us in this. I understand, but they took it to the extreme. Listen, don't you play with God. Play with me. Play with the elders. Play with the worship team, but don't play with God. We'll get to that in a minute, though. Generosity is willfully giving up something of personal value in order to help another person. Generosity costs. Generosity is not your leftovers. Generosity is costing, man, and it includes all of it, your time, your talents, and your treasure. You're not doing the church a favor because you're talented in one particular area. I have lived long enough to know as soon as I get a big head, God plucks me off. Our gifts, our money, our lives is on borrowed time. The expectation of his return is like, that's why Jesus is so slick in a good way. No, <laughs> like Jesus just says stuff like, hey, man, you better work while this day. Good night about to come. And it's just like, what are you talking about, man? I worked all morning. Now nah, I'm talking about some internal stuff. And so you know how it is. Procrastination is assuming that you have time to make it up. I mean, I feel Jesus now because what happens is it's not just discipline my eating habits. My worst habit is the wasting of my time. Because the wasting of your time is the arrogance that you can catch up. And so when we see, when we get to Acts chapter 5 and 5 and we open that door, we're going to see there are times that you ain't got no room. But we won't live there because that's a downer with uh, <laughs> First Timothy 33 and 34, in great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This is what's, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. They gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, not the size of their ministry. Somebody else was commenting on the size of their ministry, but the disciples were focused 
on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Scripture says it in this way, let another man praise you. I mean, when I go out and speak, true story, I, I, I really want to start off by saying, and this is not humility, this is just my preference, that I've been married for 23 years and I have two sons serving God, period. I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to know my degree. I don't want you, I don't, my, my heart is, because that's my greatest testimony. It's not what I've accomplished, per se, that you judge whether it's successful or not, because I learned um, in some circles, when you tell them what seminary you, you attended, uh, they judge you based on. You can't make anybody happy. And then we have to put adjectives, I'm happily married. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy. And so what happens is because um, people will judge, people will determine their perception of you to determine whether they can receive from you. And so that's why we, we, we were building uh, these platforms on stats and accomplishments. And the reality of it is we don't know. The Holy Spirit does the work. Okay. Barnabas, son of encouragement. Sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is a thriving, loving, God-honoring movement. They are not only declaring their faith, but they're demonstrating it in a very tangible way. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. And here's another big old but. But, now, again, but introduces a phrase or clause contrasting with what has already been mentioned. So, Acts chapter 4, verse 37, no, Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 35, 35, 36, 37, that Barnabas gave what he owned to the apostles and laid them at their feet and said, Pastor, Reverend, friends, here it is, distribute it. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, Sapphira, whatever you want to call her, um, so I don't mean like that, <laughs> whatever, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back, a, back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to the people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped, bam, dead. And a great fear came on all who heard. I like the young men because the old men couldn't do this part. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out. <laughs> Yo, that's why you need some young men at the church. Because I don't know how sold out you have to be, Marcus, in front of somebody that dropped dead and you like this. And like, ain't asked no questions. <laughs> like, 
Where are them folks at? <laughs> All right. And um, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. See, this was pre-cell phone. See, he didn't have a chance. He didn't have a chance to send a text and, and just find out. No status report. You know what I'm saying? No updates. Like, it was crazy. Yo, tell me. See, Peter, see, that's why I, don't, I stopped, Tiffany. I stopped asking people questions that may tempt them to lie. If you want to be in a relationship, sometimes, man, don't, don't, don't do it. Just, yeah. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, for that price. Then Peter said to her, Lord, have mercy. Why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband. So here's Marcus and, and, and Marcus Walker. Here's Looney. And they're just like... And that was like, wow. And as soon as they walk in, bam. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead. This is not funny. They found her dead. And like, they dirty, right? And they, they found her dead and um, carried her out. And they were nice because they buried her beside her husband. But then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. Now, here's the elephant in the room for me. This is hard to teach because we are so used to a loving, merciful God that we forget that he's also a judge. We forget the other part. Yes, I want to park and live in the mercy and the grace of God the Father experienced through Jesus Christ. But don't you fool yourself. Judgment starts in the household of faith. There's a tension here that I, 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 I admit. And it's hard for me to wrap my mind around it. And I just get personal because I ain't always been good and I ain't good now. But God has given me and you grace. And how many times have we tempted, tested the Holy Spirit? And so I tremble when I hear this account because it's difficult. See, I can rock with the Old Testament God because it's like, that's back then. But Jesus comes, woo, child. Jesus comes, it's like his mercies, his mercies, his mercies. Then why did this swift act of judgment with no opportunity to repent and be restored? God, help me. See, we don't know a lot about this couple. But here's what we know. They are married. They are in the family of God. They witnessed what God, somebody said, they were in the family of God. Um, and so they were witnessing what the Spirit of the Lord was doing in the church. They had money. They lied and they died. That's pretty much and I know we can study the meaning of their name. Listen, they lived, they lied, they died. And God has seen so loving at times that he's no longer feared. 
And we walk in and out of sin, ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm talking about my own lives now. We have gone from tolerating it to some, that's why I'm a man, to some outright celebrating it. I'm just going to live my best life now. Because the assumption is you're going to get a chance to live it out. It's the conviction, the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that Ananias and Sapphira seems to be a cautionary for us. Because Jesus came to us, but he does not work for us. He commands, we obey. And as Paul says, we are slaves to Jesus Christ. And so there's a bigger issue at play. Because this couple is a part of the household of faith. They were, are, in the family of God. And as Latricia Peak, a.k.a. Sweet, says, it be your own people. It's like, this is not outside the church. It's within it. And that's why Paul, and, I mean Peter, in 1 Peter 4 and 17, he says, but if you suffer as Christians, do not be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what would the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? Let not our lives become a stumbling block to those who are witnessing our hypocrisy. That there are people that's outside the church and watching the infighting coming from the church. And it becomes a stumbling block. And, and this thing that Peter says you have not lied to people, but to God. You're not lying to Peter. You're lying to God. And you, you may be impressing the people around you, but you're being exposed. And he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? This lets us know that even as spirit-filled, Jesus-loving people, we are still prone to the influence of Satan. And Satan can influence you to sin, but you and I are actually doing it. The devil didn't make you do it. No, the devil didn't make us do it. We did it. So Sitting Bull said it this way, inside of me there's two dogs, one evil and one good. And they asked him, okay, which one wins? He said, the one that I feed. And so oftentimes in this journey that we're on, that, that, that who, which dog are you feeding? Because Ananias and Sapphira look the part, but something inside of them reveals their nature. And so if, I, if, if, I, if, I, if, if you came to my house and I gave you the best cup that I have, and I said, fill it with water, and you turned it over, and this green stuff came out. Is the cup clean? If the outside of the cup is perfect, if the outside of the cup has been washed with dish detergent, but the inside is dirty, is the cup clean? Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. 
The generosity that God is asking his people to go and do is a generosity that does not determine the rate of return. This is not so people can experience their best life yet. The life that he has us on is he's not concerned about the outside of the cup. It's, man, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they look the part and they, they knew it. And they became arrogant in their own heart and didn't realize that this was what was in their heart. And God... Help us when we don't even recognize or admit that this is in our heart. It's what happened to Saul. Oh, I sinned against God? Okay, now exalt me in front of the people. You, 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 you mean your sin against God ain't enough to turn your heart? And you got an image to project and protect? And so this hypocrisy is the most dangerous spiritual virus to infect the church. Because hypocrisy is claiming to have beliefs, standards, and qualities, behaviors, virtues, motivations that you don't actually possess. Ananias fell down and breathed his last breath. And I fear that we are living in an age that lying to God is becoming second only to not being exposed. And I believe that we're actually entering into a season where the God that you are that's merely replacing your relationship with God is the God that he's, gonna, he's been loving on. And he, his, his, his mercies, his mercies, his mercies are everlasting and morning and morning. But even God get tired. And we're seeing the, the, the corruption of all of this. And God is like, because I'm cleansing my church. Because God hates two things. God hates hypocrisy and God protects the holiness of his church. We need Jesus. And the moment that we become so arrogant in our works and deeds that we no longer have a dependency on Jesus, it's the moment that we may not physically die. But it's the moment that everything changes in us. Because I'm not going to debate whether Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira made it to heaven I'm not going to debate whether their salvation is secured. I just know in that verse, um, at the end of the verse, verse number 11, then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. It's not my job or your job to determine whether your favorite your, or your former favorite pastor going to make it in or that celebrity person who walked away. We can debate whether they're going to make it to heaven, but please hear me. The most, the most important thing is making sure your heart is right. Every time a pastor fails, I call my pastor. Here's what's in my heart. Because lest I look at their failure and gloat in my success. Lest I look at their failure and gloat in my faithfulness. No, the heart is deceitfully wicked. When I see brothers that walk close to me sliding, I, I, I want to jump in. But sometimes God says, wait, because if you jump in too early, they can't hear you. Let them go around that mulberry bush. And then as soon as I get the release, it's like, hey, we need to talk. Because I understand that you are weaponizing your wounds against God. 
Think about it. It's his fault. God is sovereign. Why is this happening to me? And these are questions that people are asking that we have to first listen to. When we speak of the mercies of God, that has to be received and understood that this is based on God's merit, not yours. God is merciful to whom he wants to be merciful to. There is no formula to dictate will you receive mercy. We are under a sovereign God. Let me break it down like this. When they did it, they got away with it. You did it, you lost your license, went to jail, and you trying to figure out the one time I decided it's because he loves you. The best thing to happen to our children is when they do wrong, they are caught immediately. Because time has a way for us. I used to lock up kids. And, oh, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Let me give you context. Somebody just going to use that as a clip. Pastor locks up kids. That's not. I used to be a juvenile probation officer. And when a kid does something wrong. We have all this stuff in, in place, and oftentimes when they violate, they have a juvenile detention. On Monday the 1st, it's like, I ain't ever going back there. Oh, my God. Them people mean and crazy. Tuesday, oh, I ain't going back there. Ooh, oh, my God. I mean, the food was horrible. Remember Friday, Saturday? I ain't got to do nothing, you say, Mr. Lasseter. Oh, right on schedule. I got you, big boy. Mom called me and said, hey, he's doing X, Y, Z. I can't control. Say less. Put him on the phone. What's up, Mr. Lasseter? Ooh, I hear you, big dog. I hear you. Look, man, it is what it is. I ain't trying to hear you, man. Hmm. Hold on, Mr. Lasseter. Somebody at the door. Mr. Lass, it's the police. It is? They told me I violated my, my, my terms and conditions. Is it, what, what, what's going on? It's like, you better follow what they say. Put your mom on the phone. And what you realize is that sometimes the greatest weapon that the enemy uses against us is because we got away with it the first time. And sometimes we got to distinguish between being remorseful and actually repenting. Because sometimes, man, it's not that you feel bad about what you did. You feel bad that you got caught. And God knows the heart. And so he's also long-suffering. I don't, I don't revel in further brothers and sisters of Christ who've fallen. I don't, I don't get a sense of, oh, yeah, maybe they'll come to think kingdom. Man, are you crazy? Except for the grace of God go any of us. So when we listen and we read this cautionary tale about Ananias and Sapphira, it's not to judge them. It's to judge yourself. What I've been lying to God about, that I'm rationalizing. Who have I not forgiven? Because I want them to feel what I feel. I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were just talking about, um, it was funny, talking about praying for um, some people, and, and, and the person said, man, it's hard to pray for people that I fundamentally disagree with. I said, man, I know that's right, but we pray nonetheless, because somebody is fundam fundamentally disagreeing with what, uh, what we do, and we got to stop dehumanizing people because we don't agree with their theology or their behavior, and so... This isn't to make you have low self-esteem. 
This isn't to make you feel bad per se, but it, but it's to give us a st- it is to so that we can esteem him higher than ourselves. The truth of the matter is we aren't called to have low self-esteem, but to have balanced esteem. And there's three things to remember, and I'm closing, and that's your cue, because I got so much, I need to be. The first thing, this is good and bad, but hopefully it's good to you. You got to remember the presence of God in every area. The presence of God. That my grandma said this to me as a kid, and as I think, I think it, I was sitting in class several years later in college, and it really hit me. My grandma was full of wisdom and a couple other things, and uh, she shared her heart, uncensored. <laughs> you could take that, Tiffany. Um, she said, you might, get, you might get by, but you won't get over. And so sometimes you can fool some of the people some of the time. You can't fool God. The presence of God. We also need to remember the power of God. The third thing, the performance of God. It is because of his mercies that we're not consumed. So when the conviction comes, when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, however or whoever it comes from. In other words, have you ever been in that situation where someone recognized that you have slipped away and you became angry when you were exposed? And what I've learned is God wants us to be humbled, not to humiliate us. So we all have to have this humility that God just brings us to the point of. And so when God, when you hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's not to condemn you. It's not what it is. It's to convict you to turn away, turn, return to. That was Pastor Antoine continuing in the book of Acts with the Jesus Movement. If you are blessed by anything you heard in today's podcast and you feel like to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. And if you are in Charlotte or the surrounding areas, come on by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina, Sundays at 1033. You could also join us online Sundays on Facebook and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to us and check out our Instagram under Think Kingdom. As always, you can go back and hear this message and so many more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.